I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're on Team Human, resisting isolation and forging human connection in the face of forced separation. We can be physically set apart from each other, but we will not be socially distanced. Our ideas are still contagious. Our prana travels not through air, but ether. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're both on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, founder of the Yellow Vest, or Gilet Jaune Movement, Priscilla Ludowski. All global message was to divide people, to make people think that they are not concerned by the same problem. But actually, the Yellow Vest movement put the lights over everything who's not fair in the society. And people start to link, to connect, to talk, to explain what's happening in their, in their cities, in their life. They start to debate to, together, and now they start to work together. Ladowski will be showing us how a movement uniting the agendas of the people transcends the sensibilities of both the left and the right. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Thanks to everyone who's joined Team Human during these challenging weeks, it means a whole lot to us as we put the show together on this new weekly schedule. You too can go to teamhuman.fm and click on support to become a subscribing supporter of the show and get access to some special stuff, Team Human gifts, and free admission to our live events when we're allowed back outside. A shout out to Michael Bosey, Raphael Zaki, Saraj H., Michael Braverman, Stephanie B., for joining Team Human. You are the reason we're here. You can also hear Team Human on terrestrial radio stations, including X-Ray in Portland, Oregon, KXRC in Durango, Colorado, and KSPC in Claremont, California. 
If you want Team Human on your air, let us know at team at teamhuman.fm. You can also find the show and written versions of my monologues at our home on medium.com slash team human, or click on the link at teamhuman.fm. What a moment we are in. Everyone wants to know when we're going to get the economy started up again, just how many lives we're willing to surrender in the process. I mean, we all understand the dilemma. The sooner we open up America, the sooner we can get back to our jobs and make money. But the more likely we'll spread COVID-19, overwhelming hospitals and killing more people. I actually think this is a false choice. You know, it may be true that every 1% rise in unemployment leads to a corresponding 1% rise in suicides. And also, we know that first-time job hunters seeking employment during an economic turndown, they live shorter lives. So an extended freeze of the economy could shorten the lifespan of 6.4 million Americans entering the job market by an average of about two years. But this, this may actually say less about the downturn than it does about our dangerously absolute dependence on traditional employment for basic sustenance. You know, in reality, I think the sooner and more completely we restore this old economy where figures like that are true, the more we simply recreate the conditions that got us sick in the first place. Those are the conditions that rendered us incapable of mounting an effective defense against the virus at all. The economy that we're committed to restoring, it's no more the victim of the COVID-19 crisis than it is the cause. That's why we have to stop asking, when will things get back to normal? They won't. We don't want them to. There is no going back. Right? That's the good news. If we approach this moment of pause mindfully then the post-COVID economy we create together could turn out to be a whole lot more resilient than the old one. Right? Beyond exposing the brittle nature of global supply chains and top-down monetary policy and a vanquished domestic manufacturing sector, the COVID crisis is also unleashing a powerful drive by local and network communities to rebuild business from the bottom up. The mechanisms so many of us are now inventing and retrieving under duress, they might just survive after the crisis is over, and they're what's going to augur this new era of distributed commerce. You know, bailing out Main Street somehow through banks? That's what Obama tried after the recession of 2007. Force banks to take money, so they lend it to corporations who are then supposed to use it to build businesses and create jobs. Right? Jobs nobody really enjoys, making crap that the rest of us then have to be convinced by advertisers to buy. These aren't solutions. They're just ways of restoring the original problem. They shore up the lending industries and the dominance of the corporate sector over small businesses. It's not the way Joe's Pizzeria gets saved. It's the way Joe ends up working for a branch of Domino's for less money and with less security. You know, what's working instead are these myriad strategies and lateral mechanisms for mutual aid and value exchange. It's the medical supplies being listed on Google Docs and spreadsheets. It's in Taiwan, the crude but functional public service platforms that are being developed by hackers working in concert with government. 
right? These innovations, they're digital in spirit, but they're local in their execution. In some ways, it's this temporary paralysis of globally scaled financial institutions that's creating the need and the room, the opportunity for these alternatives to just-in-time global supply chains to be experimented with, for people to gain faith in them and then actually use them. These are bottom-up balanced economic solutions. They respect people and places as much as they do the capitalists who are lending the money in the first place, right? This is neighborhood barter and local currencies, distributed open source apps. It's the donut economic model now being implemented in Amsterdam. These practices are the ones we talk about that are optimized not for the extraction of capital and the growth of stock, but for the velocity of money, like the circulation of blood through an organism. We don't want to build back the old economy. That's what increases fragility. That's what made us so weak in the first place. You know, we can't depend on government to implement any of these reforms from the top down anyway. Right? They can pour money in, but it's not going to do anything. Their refusal of the administration to step up and take charge in this crisis in some ways is a tough love lesson to local communities that we are on our own. And in some ways, we always have been. And we better start finding solutions and building prosperity from the bottom up. Look to people like Assemblyman Ron Kim or Mayor John Reed of Fairfax, California, or, or New York City Councilmember Brad Lander. These are the kind of people who are looking at how do we keep Uber and Airbnb and General Foods and Amazon out and make room for bottom-up small businesses, family enterprises? How do we educate constituents why it matters where you buy from, where you work for? How do we support credit unions, barter exchanges, local currencies. You know, we may be in this ourselves, but we are in it together. The mantra for a post-COVID economy has to be make everyone rich. The scorched earth practices of Walmart, Amazon, Uber, all they succeed in doing is squeezing their employees, their suppliers, and their partners dry. Everyone becomes one paycheck or purchase order away from bankruptcy. That's Trump's art of the deal. Force people into unprofitable deals until they just perish. What's that for? Companies should instead, we should all try to make everyone in their marketplace as rich and prosperous as possible. That shouldn't be counterintuitive. The more wealth there is in a business's ecosystem, the better the business does, more sustainably, the more other people want to work with you. For their part, small businesses devastated by COVID and looking for ways to dig out from debt or bankruptcy, they have to consider alternatives to crippling bank loans. They can move instead toward any one of the new models of employee ownership, from employee stock ownership plans to full platform cooperatives. During the last financial crisis, the workers of New Era Windows, they occupied their factory, which was being shuttered by the parent company. And then in a spontaneous act of solidarity, Chicago police refused to arrest them. Eventually, the workers purchased the company. Some of them did it through sweat equity, and now it runs as a co-op. And they are the ones who are less likely to consider themselves as employees expendable when the next crisis hits. That's the way an economy is supposed to work. Just like the circulatory system of a living being, the money needs to be kept moving. 
Widespread prosperity is not some form of charity or welfare, but the surest sign of a thriving, resilient economy. You know, unfortunately, the economy so many people seem so desperate to return to, that one is based on the opposite principles. And that dream of infinite exponential growth, it only ends in apocalypse or escape to Mars. And we already know the wealthiest among us are preparing for both. Now, the restoration of local bottom-up production and commerce based in mutual prosperity, it's also the chance for the Trump and the Bernie supporters to realize they're on the same side. Freed of top-down political ideologies and frameworks, we can get down to the actual work of growing food, patching roofs, healing wounds, and teaching arithmetic. Local resilience need not be left or right. It's just a way to return to health. Real people doing real things. Real people doing real That's right. It's time for a special team human feature, real people doing real things. We so often speak with people who are thinking about things, blogging about things, tweeting about things, making websites for things, creating organizations and networks for other people to do things. But we so very rarely talk to people who are actually doing things, real people doing real things. So we've been traveling the world in search of such rare humans actually involved in activities where they do stuff. Some of them even use their hands or tools. Others meet and help people in real life. It's a fascinating and counterintuitive approach to making the world a better place to do something. Today's real person doing a real thing is native Detroiter Timothy Paul Jackson, co-founder of Detroit Hives, which turns abandoned urban lots into educational apiaries. Yes, inner city beef arms. I kid you not. I was hoping you could share with us the Detroit Hive story. How did you get the idea for this? And how did you get from the idea to actually doing something? We wanted to create an urban beef farm. So we wanted to create a space that's inclusive for the community and the pollinators. Everything started with seeing an article in a Detroit newspaper where the city announced that we currently had 90,000 vacant lots. And these vacant lots were causing issues in the community. So it'd be a lot of people that maybe use these areas as dump sites. They figure, hey, no one cares about this area. They figure we can get away with it and no one's gonna do nothing about it. So we wanted to do something cool and creative until uh, things got a little personal with me. I got sick. And I try everything to get rid of my cough and cold from home remedies to over-the-counter medication to even going to the doctor to be placed on antibiotics, and nothing was working for me. I mistakenly came across the power of local raw honey by way of a convenience store. And what happened was, was as I entered the store, I began coughing a lot like I was regularly doing. And the store owner recognized it, and he he made a very simple suggestion. He said he asked me to try some of the local raw honey that they had there that it would help and get rid of my cough and cold. He began to tell me so much about how honeybees bring in pollen from our local regions and how a lot of times the pollen may trigger our allergies, but when you consume it over time, it serves as like an immune shot where it provides immunotherapy, but also the pollen provides medicinal benefits like protein. So 
So he sold me on it. I tried it for three weeks, and my coffin co-head went away. Then we formed Detroit Hives, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization working to create sustainable communities and bee populations by reimagining vacant landscape and to educational apiaries. Well, people who live in Detroit or even don't live in Detroit and want to get involved are just thinking, well, shoot, I could be a beekeeper or I could help do some urban bee farming. What's the best first step? I would say the best first step is simply to plant some flowers in your own backyard, to plant native flowers, native plant species. Um, This can help attract our native bees. You know, and every region is different, but just to give you a rundown, Michigan it's home to 450 different types of native bees. Native bees like bumblebees, sweat bees, leaf-cutter bees, mason bees, orchard bees, cuckoo bees, covered bees, etc. There are close to 5,000 bee species in the United States and over 20,000 bee species in the world. So what we can do is all help play our part in saving the bees by planting bee-friendly flowers. Also about by leaving out water sources. You know, as forager bees, they're the oldest bees inside the hive, and their job is to retrieve local groceries back to their colony in form of nectar, pollen, water, and propolis. So in this case, they get tired and sometimes dehydrated by leaving out a good water source that keeps them energized on their foraging flights. What others can do is spread the word or not spraying chemicals on their lawns. The chemicals that's like in uh, weed killer or insecticides and herbicides or fungicides. They're not just killing bees. They're killing all living things. It potentially affects our pets and ourselves as well. Support local beekeepers. Buy your honey local. Support your local beekeepers that have products. That funds their mission in helping another beekeeper to stay funded and, and sustainable. If they really want to get involved, they can buy native bee homes. These homes are relatively inexpensive. They can be paired in a garden. They can, pl- they can provide a resting spot for our native bees. And then lastly, if they're looking to keep honeybees, I strongly recommend the first thing they do is join a beekeeping association. There, they will have all the questions, all the resources, mentors, mentees, you name it, they need to get things started off the ground. But for the most part, bees do all the work. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for being on Team Human. Thanks for uh, reminding us that real people can do real things if they put their mind to it and actually get their hands on something. (laughs) It's not too late to save ourselves or the bees. Absolutely. And thanks for having us. Real people doing real things. Real That was this week's Real Person Doing Real Things, Timothy Paul Jackson, co-founder of Detroit Hives. You can find out more about their work at DetroitHives.org. I'm delighted to welcome our next guest to Team Human, an inspiration and role model for any of us engaged in finding the others, forging solidarity across sacrosanct boundaries, and engaging in activism to make a real difference in people's lives. The founder of the Yellow Vest Movement, or Gilets Jaunes, Priscilla Ludowski. 
for people that are completely unfamiliar, this Yellow Vest movement was sparked, which I guess could be best understood by us as a protest, at least initially, against the way the Macron government was catering to the interests of corporations and the elite over real working people. I guess, how did you come up with the idea to make this petition? And then how did it lead to all these other things? During the months of September of 2018, I have sent my petition to all medias, radios, newspapers, friends, every day. <laughs> so the first media whose response was a local radio, because I'm living at a city which is in the south at one hour from Paris. And a local radio of there called me to talk about it. After that, it was a newspaper who contacted me. And uh, when this newspaper wrote an article about my petition, then a big newspaper called Le Parisien did the same thing. And after that one, the increase was incredible. Were you already kind of basically educated in social Absolutely not. gathering? Absolutely <laughs> not. Not in politics either. <laughs> and uh, after that, a lot of media called me to go on TV show, on radio, to talk to people in the morning, to have debate. And I was absolutely not trained for that. But I did. I had to do it because I knock at the door. So if the, the door open, I have to go. <laughs> So <laughs> so sometimes I guess, you know, so then you would be on, they would put maybe a right-wing economist or a pro-business corporate thinker on with you and you're saying this isn't fair, this isn't working, yes, and then they exactly. come at you with all this stuff. And then, well, how are you going to pay for this? How are you going to pay for that? And what do you do? Just basic common sense answers? or My first thing was to ask for transparency. I could see that some people agree, some people not. But people who not agree was the member of government's of the political party of Macron. <laughs> so they were really not agree with what I was saying, but I had to explain why people uh, were waiting for transparency because we didn't know what they are doing with tax. They said that the tax was to finance laws about ecology, but it wasn't the case because we knew at the end of the year, around December, that they were financing a fiscal advantage given to big enterprises instead of financing the ecological transition. So before we knew that, they all were saying that it was for ecology. And after that, we knew that it wasn't. So they were just lying when we were debating on TV sets. And I have to, to be strong to say that I'm, I know that she wasn't financing ecology because we saw when proposed laws, we saw that that laws are just against the ecology. Which doesn't make sense. Macron, he comes in as basically a progressive. It seemed that way at the very beginning, <laughs> at least outside. And then he launches a carbon tax, which is what we all environmental progressive people want. Carbon tax. Yay, make them pay. And But it wasn't really a carbon tax on oil companies, was it? For me, it's an unfair tax. Why? Because, first of all, they tax people who drive cars. They said that this is to make people leave the car at home and take trains, take buses. In Paris, you can do that, but not around Paris and not in the rest of France because they don't have any transportation. A lot of buses and train stations are closing. A lot of hospitals are closing. They have to go very far away. And usually in the, what we call Provence, they don't have any choice 
they have to use the car. And usually in the family, you have two cars because you don't have the choice because everything is far and they don't have any transportation. So if you say that you put a tax and this tax has to be increased because you need to finance transportation, but you don't provide transportation, there is a problem for me. So they weren't just taking the carbon tax to then support rail system. No, and if they say that we have to pollute less, it's a good thing, but it's not really the case because uh, you don't have any taxes on kerosene for the flight. You don't have any sea fuel taxes. (laughs) So you see that this is not fair. They're just taxing the individual workers rather than anybody else. And you have a value-added taxes over the taxes for fuel. Yeah, and it's not fair. When do people start putting on the vests and actually marching outside? You have two things. The first one is that Around October 2018, uh, a truck driver who was living not far from my city called me to tell me that we can maybe join to call people to demonstrate, to to make the the tax stop. And I said, okay. And I did this call all over the country using medias. And after that, when uh, we did that, a lot of people all over the country called us to to say that they, they were agree. They want to make a demonstration, but that they couldn't come in Paris. So there was a girl, uh, organizing demonstration in their own cities. At this time, you had around 700 points of demonstration in France. One of them uh, made a live, a Facebook live, saying, if you agree with what is going on, but you cannot go on demonstration, put your yellow vest over the, in the dashboard. At this time, the, the media wasn't very sure that would happen the first big call of November the 17th. But when they started to see yellow vests everywhere on the car of people driving in the city, they were saying, okay, maybe something is happening. (laughs) It was different in some ways, easier than Occupy, where you don't have to go leave your job and move into a park and live there. Now you're sort of occupying reality. You know, you're occupying daily life. Mm-hmm. It was just visual. For Americans who don't know, the, the yellow vest is, is a mandatory safety item in the car in France. Everybody has one. Yes. If you get a flat tire and have to change your tire, then they can see you in the vest. You don't get run over, stuff like that. So now if everyone has it, did people then just wear it to work or wear it during the day? Yes. This is easy to have it and to put it in the car because it's compulsory to have it and at the beginning, they couldn't, they couldn't say to take it off, but now the police say to take it off. That it's like a sign of violence or something? Yes. That it indicates... Yes, this is a sign of demonstration, a sign of opponents. So when you put it, it's like you're against the government now. This is not just a, an item of the car now. This is more. This is a symbol. But they treat you like you're traitors now. You're a traitor of the government, mm-hmm. if you wear. Yes. So then... People gathered on on the specific day. It was basically a call to action. Was it all peaceful or did some people get provoked into into violence on that very first event? Uh, yes, I was shocked about that, that situation because the very first day we came in the Champs-Élysées Avenue and uh, just singing the national anthem and... People came to demonstrate, not in family with child, but with uh, the women and the men come together. And a lot of old people, retired people. I was very shocked about that. And we we were coming the the avenue and we had been blocked by the police. They were using gas. I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, People were, were crying. People were running everywhere in the street. Find a place where you you don't find any gas. 
people re were really getting emotional about the fact that a lot of people were in the street, but at the same, same time, they were sad about that. Because, I mean, in the U.S., when we do a protest, it's a little bit like theater, where we call the police and we say, we want to protest on this street. And then they say, well, maybe you could protest on this street instead. And we want to start at 10. But maybe you could start at 11 after we have this new shift. Was it organized in that way? Or did people just show up? We, we just say the street and the, the hour. In the, in the morning, it was a demonstration by car. Right, like a parade almost. Yes, yeah. yes, like a parade. And, and they were just around us. And after that, in the afternoon, the police knew that we had to go to the Champs-Élysées Avenue. We just sent an email at this time. Not a formal demand. Because the spirit of the movement is that people just tired of everything. It's not just about tax. The tax was the, the last straw. Because when, when I, I've been in, the, in this avenue the first day, people were coming to see me and saying, thank you for everything. Thank you to open our eyes because this was just the last. We are just tired of that situation for years. We mistrust our politics. Uh, we mistrust uh, unions, NGO, and we didn't know how, what to do. And thank you to make us going in the street like that to, to demonstrate. They don't want, they just want to be listened. I know in America, we have the same issues in some ways, but the people who want to be listened to seem to come from two different sides of the spectrum. So we have Trump's people who feel like they've been neglected, you know, and that global trade and elites have been you know, oppressing them. And then we have, you know, Bernie Sanders progressives who also, who want that sorts of change. But in America, it's as if those two sides are opposed to each other. And the Yellow Vests were able, in some ways, to unite two communities of activists who could have been understood as on different sides. You know, workers who want cheap oil and environmentalists who want no oil, uh, you know, in some sense they come together. Or people who want women's rights and gender rights and race rights are marching with people who are, in some ways, you know, nationalists who want return to the good old days. Was there tension between these two seemingly opposing sides? Why we, we could uh, have so different profiles in the movement is maybe thanks to social network. Because with the social network, when you call for the demonstration, you don't have any wall between people. You don't ask people for who you vote. You don't ask any private information about people. You just say, okay, if you think that there is social inequalities, if you think that the people we vote for are not working well, if you think that there is unfair laws, come at this day at this time to demonstrate. We, we just join a, around ideas and not around someone. The, the first thing the government made when uh, I first went to the TV sets was to say that I, I was opposite to the environmentalist people. And I think this is a way to divide us because uh, they were saying, okay, you are against the, the protection of the environment, you are against everything relating to, the, to climate change. And I was saying, no, it's false. And I had a lot of work to do to, to prove that this is not the case. This is the same thing for people who live in Paris because the global message provided by medias for years is to opposite people living in Paris 
against people living out of Paris. The other one is people living in France, uh, in the um, mainland, against people living in French overseas territories, the, uh, the Car Caribbean islands. And the other one is to opposite people living in the suburbs of Paris, because the suburbs are very familiar to police violence. For years, there I live in this in the suburbs, so I know that all global message was to divide people, to make people think that they are not concerned by the same problem. But actually, the Yellowest Movement put the lights over everything who's not fair in the society, and people start to link, to connect, to talk, to explain what's happening in their in their cities, in their life. They start to debate to, together, and now they start to work together. And this is something that I think they didn't not, they didn't want to happen, and now it's happened thanks to to the social network and thanks to the fact that the movement is not uh, an initiative of uh, political parties or from a union. Right. It doesn't feel like it's from a particular side of the spectrum. In the 1990s, I was involved in the WTO protests, you know, against the World Trade Organization. And those were pretty diverse. We had union workers, we had environmentalists, there were college kids, housewives. You know, the Occupy movement was less diverse. You know, it was mostly like white college kids. And when I look at something like Extinction Rebellion, which I'm a part of and I approve of, at the same time, Extinction Rebellion has very specific branding. It's young, it's punk, it's counterculture, it's bright pink. And I could see middle-class, working-class people looking at that and saying, those aren't my people, you know, <laughs> that almost as if in America we're so brand-conscious and so identity-conscious that we want to make sure whatever movement that we're joining is the right one for me, rather than maybe right for everybody. You know, I'm wondering, is that what we're missing in America? Is the revolution just, is it universal? It must involve climate activists and democracy activists, and economic equality activists, and feminists, it has to be everybody? The problem now, I think, is that people start to see that they are fighting against the same responsible people. We, we clearly saw it when you had, at the very beginning, you had action from Yellow Vest people, and actions in the street from climate activists and action from people fighting against police violence. And they were just looking around and say, okay, we are acting in front of the same monument. We are acting in front of the same big enterprise. And actually we have the same goal. That's why people, may, even if they want to know, they want to be sure and safe about the fact that this is a movement with a safe origin, they see fighting as, with another eye. And we see it when we talk with the unions as well, because uh, they have been um, really bad about the fact that they didn't saw this movement coming, because they have to fight with people usually, with uh, workers, and they never predict this uh, movement. So everybody who used to fight for years in different subjects see that this, this, is, this is not working. And the situation is getting worse and worse. And the only way to win is to be all together with one goal. And at the same time, I feel like some of your power derives from the fact that you have a local emphasis 
with the different parts of the movement. So in one place, unemployment is the problem. In another, it's arsenic levels in the water. In another place, it's air pollution. That there's sort of a local specificity to this more universal demand. What we made to centralize demands is to organize a big citizens consultation online which is called the true debate it has been online during 33 days you had the right to post a proposal and uh, at the end of this period they had 25,000 demands you had 1 million vote over that proposal after that you had university laboratories of research who analyzed that uh, consultation the platform, the comments of people. They analyzed the fact that you had four big family of demands. The first one was a, a big transformation of the political system. The second one was to re reinforce public services. The third one was about uh, moral uh, fairness in tax. The, third, the fourth one was about ecology, to have measures more fair for ecology and to preserve the environment. This is the proof that people just want a big update of everything. You had 59 proposals, the most voted. This is a way to show that this is not only about tax. Was it after that that the uh, government said that they would meet with you? Uh, no, we asked to meet the government on October of the last year. He never answered because uh, the media never talked about that big consultations. They refuse to do it. This is really difficult for us to communicate about that results. So we did a small book of 60 pages who shows the, the, the analysis of the laboratories, who shows the, how did the platform has been created and what are the proposals. And we wanted to, to give it to, to the president in person, and we asked for it. So every media talked about that request, this official request we had, and he never answered. And what we did uh, last month was to give this book to each ministry, to the, the 17th ministries. And the last thing we, should, we want to do again was, actually, uh, I don't know if you have this, um, uh, you have a big place in Paris where people can come to sell things. At this occasion, you, ha you always have the president going there, making pictures, talking to people. And at this place, uh, you have a woman, a yellow vest woman, who was just in front of the president and was talking to him uh, about police violence, the fact that we are in the street since almost 15 months. Is, pre the president wasn't prepared to, uh, to talk to someone <laughs> at this uh, place. And he said, okay, I can't meet you uh, for one hour if you want. And she said, okay, she wasn't prepared <laughs> also. <laughs> but she said, okay. The team of the, the responsible of the communication team of the president gave a card to the, to the woman. And actually the woman called me and two other friends to go there with her. So she confirmed to the team of the president that she was ready to come. He said, okay, we're ready to receive you. Who's coming with you? Because the president asked her to come with a group, to constitute a group. So she did. She answered, okay, I can come with. And she gave my name, the name of another personality of the movement who lost an eye, an eye. And he had to come with me and with, the, with this uh, woman and with another yellow vest who used to go to the media to talk and to debate with uh, politics. 
And since uh, she she gave uh, our names, we, she still don't have any answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think he doesn't want to meet us and to to confront to us. And but he said to everybody that the yellow vest doesn't want to talk. <laughs> right. What they put out to the press was that the yellow vest doesn't want to be there because there's no media or something. Oh, yes. This was the last year. The, in, on January, we had... Uh, first, before that, we had a meeting uh, at the end of November of 2018 with the Ministry of Ecological Transition. We, uh -huh. we gave him the, the, the demands uh, because before that big consultation, I made myself a big survey to ask people what they want. Over 40,000 people answered, and the four family of demands I gave you was basically the same uh, as the survey. And uh, we told to him that the, this ministry wasn't the only one concerned now. The, the movement has evolved, and now we need to see someone else, like the first ministry. And he said, okay. So three days after, someone working for the first ministry called us, And uh, we said, uh, okay, we, we agree if uh, we can have someone who record the meeting. And they refused. And they wanted to make us come in the meeting by the entrance of the back, not in public. So we refused because they refused to make us come in the main entrance <laughs> and because they refused to record the, the meeting. So they say everybody that we refuse, but they don't give the reason. Having had these sorts of experiences, do you have what they call a, a like a theory of change? Is the way thing changes that that we protest to the government and the government does things differently? Do we try to elect yellow vest people into office, or do we ignore government and do things different ourselves? I mean, what do you see as the path towards the kinds of changes that are being demanded now? You have several things. You have the fact that people want to be part of the politic life now. They just don't want anymore to just vote. This is the first thing. So you you can see yellow vest people who getting engaged in politics now, whereas they they, they didn't uh, there wasn't before. You have another thing, the thing that people just think that you should have some tools, democratic tools, to be created to make uh, people contribute to the creation of laws or to the creation of demands, but not only once during a movement, but forever. <laughs> I don't know. The example of that is that is, uh, in January of 2019, You have people working in a laboratory of research, you have universities, you have climate activists, you have yellow vest people and others who join to create a collective called the Citizen Vest. <laughs> and uh, we asked to the president to create a citizen's assembly, which was one of the demands of the yellow vest movement. Some people of the groups had some meetings with the government And Macron accepted that demands, but only in, in, in one topic, because we was asking to create a citizen assembly about climate, about taxation, and about democracy. And yeah, he responds on April of last year, saying that he was creating a citizen assembly called the citizen convention, but only for climate. And um, this is the first time in France that you have citizens, 150 people 
chosen by random uh, to work uh, on uh, climate measures. Yeah, that's interesting, the choice at random. It's what Extinction Rebellion was talking about that too. Rather than having votes and campaigns that you just have a big list of people who want to do this and you pick one at random. How did you come up with that? You know what I mean? It, it feels unique. How did you decide to pick people at random to be on the council? This has been done by a, a special um, company. We, we think this is the one solution to have a representativeness because you have special, specific things to respect. You have to be sure that you have people from mainland France and from overseas department. You have to be sure that you have a woman and men, but you have to be sure that you have young people, uh, retired people. This company had to respect some rules before organizing this. Right, but I love the idea that we will select better leaders randomly from amongst ourselves than picking the person who can win, uh, you know, who can win some election. Yes, that's, what, that's why the parliament is bad with that, because they, they see that they're working over laws and you have a citizens' assembly working over laws. <laughs> and uh, we don't know if the, the president will uh, respect his... Um, well, it's conclusions, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yes. Because what our collectives asked was to be sure that at the end we have a referendum. He didn't accept completely. He said that the measure of propose, uh, proposed by the citizens uh, would go either to the parliament, either to the referendum is directly to be a rules. They have provided 150 and 50 measures, and the next week they will share it with the public. And after that, the president will analyze and say if he agree with that one, they ask to go to the rules, because the citizens will propose if 10 of these proposals have to go to the referendum, or if 10 of that proposal have to go to the rules or, the, or to the parliament, and the president have to answer to that. And then the, the citizens have to re-answer after that, to say we're not agree or we agree. Like a parliament. <laughs> but a citizen's parliament instead of a corrupt parliament. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so uh, this, is one, this is the result of what people working together can do when they join big strength. Because before the Yellow Vest movement, any of these people was working together. All people were fighting in, in their own subject. The, the climate activists was working in, in this side, the, the universities in the other side, and we saw that in a small time, from January to April, we, we succeed. This is just incredible. We just don't know if the president will uh, accept what the citizens will propose, but this is just really new. To institutionalize activism in this way, yes. really, is new. I mean, do you have people from other countries then calling you or emailing you to say, how do we start Yellow Vest where we are? Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, I've been in several countries for that, in Spain. The first country was Spain because, uh, as you know, in Catalonia, you had the referendum. They're organized by, them, by uh, themselves. So this was the first country who called us. <laughs> this is all, uh, also the first country who wants to organize a coven, an assembly of citizens. And so you're so busy on this. How do you, you stay alive at the same time? I know you work is, uh, in aromatherapy, but do you have time to do aromatherapy and be a full-time <laughs> no. organizer, activist? No, absolutely not. Uh, I, my life has completely changed. Since the beginning of the movement, I'm just sitting 
I'm just seated in a high-speed train. <laughs> right. And sometimes I'm, I stop and sometimes I'm, I'm sleeping. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, no, it's not easy. Uh, I'm sure your life has changed. Uh, I mean, are you recognized in the street? Do you get threatening letters? I mean, how is, <laughs> how is life as you different? Uh, in the street, sometimes, yes, mainly in supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, uh, people talk to me, but it's positive. Usually, usually people uh, say thank you, keep going, we support you, most of a um, message like that. And uh, for Triton, it's on the social media, not very courageous. <laughs> I'm interested in what you also do for a living, you know, aromatherapy. I've had two or three different people have emailed me to want to be on the show to talk about aromatherapy. And, you know, there's really deep principles at play in aromatherapy it even just in the in the idea of reacquainting people with their their lived incarnate embodied experience with their breathing with their senses in some ways aromatherapy is a way of kind of waking people up to their embodied reality you know actually i was working for 11 years in the bank ah. and yes and i've decided just after school because i have a diploma of international trade and I, uh, I started to work in a bank at uh, 20, and then uh, I left to change completely in 2017 to open my e-shop of cosmetic, organic uh, cosmetic, and to be aromatherapy uh, advisor. And I think that it's very important to be aware that we, we are able to take care of ourselves in some way, and I think it should, that should be something learned to school, because... Um, this is the basic thing we have to know. It's almost how to nourish oneself. Yes, absolutely. I think we, we should have learned that very young, actually, to know how to take care of you, to know which kind of flower you can use either to eat, either to be healthy. And we don't know that. I think it's, it's not a good thing. And I wanted to, to go to the basic, <laughs> to return to the basic when I changed completely my, my work. Well, it's interesting now because your banking knowledge goes into the activism, you know, to understand global systems and how monetary policy works. You know, the bank is, the big, is a big world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was working in a, in a service where, which is not linked to economy. Uh, I was writing a lot of text of juridic uh, things. Uh, legal things about how companies can be protected uh, in a relation, in a contract with another company out, uh, overseas. And I was mainly writing, writing, writing. <laughs> it's really interesting because I was working for big companies. So you learn a lot of things about relation between big companies. And you have to be uh, very good to draft some text who protect that big companies. So you have to be sure of what you, what you are writing for them. So having experienced big companies, do you feel like they can come along with us? Do corporations have to go away altogether or can they become good actors in the environment and, and economic world? I think they have the, a big responsibility because they, they have the power to change things. More power than us, actually because they have the financing to do it. They have the, the power to change the way they make people work. The, the place where they work, they can, they can be exemplary, but they are not. We are dependent of that big companies because people need to, to pay bills. So they have to work with those companies to pay bills, to take care of their family. So this is like a circle and you cannot go out easily. 
And uh, I think they are first responsible of a lot of things. In specifically in the topic of environment, there, you don't have in France actually any law protect the environment enough to give fine to big companies. That you don't fine them for anything, any of the bad things they do to the planet. Because they are participating to the writing of laws, actually. <laughs> right. So they do it for themselves. <laughs> so, they self-regulate, as, yes. we, as we call it. Yeah, that's always a problem. So then what do you see as, as next for you? You're still going strong with Yellow Vest, or are you taking a little more time for yourself and your own personal life? Uh, actually, I'm, work, I'm, lo I'm looking for a job in communication since uh, one year, but it's very difficult in France because I have a tag <laughs> on me. So I'm looking, ah. I'm, I'm looking out of France now. And uh, I have created with, an, uh, with other friends of the Yellow Vest a group of associations, call it Fédération in France, because we want to help people who fight in small departments. Because in France, you have several departments. And usually when they fight, they are like alone. They are intimidated by politics. And we want to create a network. So we opened that big group of association on November of the last year. Now we, are, we have six departments involved. Uh, we are opening a seventh one. And uh, we want to, to support local fights. And we want to be a big strength when we have to call all the association to a, to a national fight. So we're organizing all that because we want to fight in a more organ organized way because in the Yellow Vest movement, we are not a structured uh, group. This is not only for the Yellow Vest people. This is for everybody who wants to fight. Great. I mean, we're so thankful for coming on this on this show and, and for what you're doing, dedicating as much of your life and energy for all of our sakes. And I mean, for those of us in America, providing the example of a movement that, you know, can bring together the artificially divided factions. The Our, our government and media are very good at keeping us fighting one another rather than looking up at them <laughs> and, what, and what they're doing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining Team Human. Our guest today was the founder of Gilets Jaunes, Priscilla Ludowski. You can find out more about her and the Yellow Vests at www.priscillaludowski.fr or come to teamhuman.fm to find that link and to find out more about Ludowski and all of our guests. Team Human is produced by Josh Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. It is funded by you. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.